This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Dougal Bruce Lockhart, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you very much. Thank That's you. a triple-barrelled name, right? It, it is, and I think it goes way back. My my great, great, great grandmother was a Bruce, and she decided she wasn't going to let go of her name when she married a Lockhart or Lockett, as they say it in Scottish. So yes, ah, Lockett. It is okay. A triple-barrelled name. Well, I like her already. Then, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so what do we got here? You're a member of the Bruce Lockett family. You're born in Fiji. Um, yep. Which is close. And I haven't been back. It's, it's, I, mean, I left when I was three. My brother went back for his 50th birthday this year. And I'm longing to go, but I sort of feel part of me, if I do go, I probably won't return. It's the kind of place I imagine I'd want to stay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah. one day, one day. One day. And so you're the son of a diplomat, spy, artist and author. I mean, that's, that's a story in the making, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. They, um, <clears throat> I, yes, I found out that my dad was Secret Service when, he, when I was 13, I think 13 or 14. And obviously we couldn't tell anybody. And in fact, How it only did you became, find out? Uh, well, he took us into the garden. And I said, told you. Yeah, here's the chat. And I thought I was going to get the birds and bees. And I wanted to say, listen, I know about the birds and bees. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and they said, we sat there in the, uh, uh, underneath the vine trellis in Vienna, where we were posted at the time. And he said, I, I, I work for the Secret Service. And my brother and I thought it was fantastic. And we're desperate to tell people. <clears throat> but of course, we couldn't. And it was only when my father died in 2018 and, and the Times ran his obituary that it sort of became officially public. I mean, wow. So, so, uh, so yes. Is that a hard secret to keep as a child? Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I'm thinking if I was Secret Service, would I tell my 13-year-old? Probably not. Yeah. But then there were things that we had to do that I suppose we might have started asking questions. Like uh, what? Well, well, well <clears throat> I mean, when we, were moved, when we went to Nigeria, we, we had a convoy. We had a, a outriders. Um, I don't know if they were armed or not. In Vienna, I wasn't aware of it. But some of the parties and sometimes some of the things that people said to us, that was the other thing. So older children, 18-year-olds of, of diplomatic colleagues would go, your dad's a spy. And then say, yeah. what? And of course, and, and as soon as you start getting that, it's much better to head them off at the pass, explain what that means. Yeah. Um, but did it also you, explained, did you have like, you know how children don't see the value in superstar parents? Like, you know, you could be, you know, the daughter of Madonna or the son of Madonna and really yeah. Madonna's just a mum and she's yeah. so, so yeah. hum hum. Did you think that of him? Uh, we, I mean, having sort of, sort of thought about it, thought this is great. We're all James Bond or James Bond derivatives. Yes. I sort of <laughs> got over it quite quickly. Um, and then at times when people ask, you know, what does your dad do? And, and, and also I, I became very interested in, in that whole thing myself. Um, but no, I managed after a while. Yes. You just start to see him as dad. We went fishing together. He was a very keen sailor. He was always very outdoors and active. 
And we just quickly forgot as a family. It was only if we had to go and do something. Or quite often we'd go and have dinner, especially in Vienna, outside, because it was fairly um, well understood that the house would probably be bugged. So, which also explained why we used to have music playing every mealtime. <laughs> we couldn't quite figure that out until he told us that. And then they said, yes, that's right. Um, but uh, I, I think now, I mean, strange enough, now that he's not with us anymore, <clears throat> I feel that I want to spread the word about how gifted he was. But of course, a lot of what he did, he hasn't told us. And he wouldn't tell us. Whereas his father was also MI6 and wrote about it. And it's in the public records office, some of which I think he should have written about some, perhaps he shouldn't have done, but my father was quite clear that certain things weren't to be discussed yeah, at all, ever. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I'd love to know what they were. Okay. So you went on and have had and are having a career as an actor, and now this is your foray into writing, and your, this is your first novel, is that right, called The Lizard? Yes, that's right. Yep. Yeah. But did you at any point want to be a spy? Do you know, I, I, <laughs> I, um, I certainly entertained the idea, and I was told quite... Uh, what's the word, succinctly by my, by my parents when they came to visit me at St. Andrews University. I mean, I asked them outright. They'd come to watch um, me in a play. Uh, and I, I said to them in the car, I said, listen, I'm thinking about joining um, um, the firm, the foreign office, but we knew what that meant. Uh, and do you think it'd be okay if I, if I joined and you were still in it? And mum turned to dad and said, will you tell him or do you want me to? And I was like, what, what, what? And they said, they've checked you out at St. Andrews University and they've deemed you unsuitable. <laughs> so, uh, so my dreams of joining the Secret Service stopped there. And also I think nowadays you'd have to have a first and it, it's, a, it's a very different thing. I mean, not saying that it was easier for my father. And anyway, he was a phenomenal linguist. And also he went to Cambridge. He was very bright. I, was, I wasn't so disciplined with my academic aptitudes um i'd like to think that i was bright but there was a certain for a start you needed a first there was no way i was going to get a first and i think for all sorts of other reasons perhaps but um but uh, but now i'm writing about it because this actually we'll come to talk about that later is the first of a trilogy and uh, without i don't want to give too much away about the book but i'm certainly bringing more and more of the mi6 and espionage realm into it so i can live through it that way and also i think as actors we're spies and as spies we're actors so it somehow merges yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, and also too, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously he had other interests. You've got a, an artist and an author. So he wrote himself, your father. Yeah, well, he painted, he, um, he was a watercolour painter and he wrote books uh, on, particularly on Clapperton, who was one of his heroes, who was an explorer. Right, in non-fiction. The 18th century. Yeah, um, but he didn't write novels. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So tell me about your career. I mean, how did you get into acting? Because I mean, it's, it's quite different uh, to being a spy, not so different to being an artist. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> but how, how did that come about? It's straight. It, it started at university. Uh, I did a play at university, a couple of plays. And in my final year, the artistic director of the Bio Theatre, I just played Stanley in Streetcar Named Desire. And she said to me, you know, you should think about becoming an actor. And I, I sort of laughed and said, no, 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 I, I'm not going to do that. And I said, well, how would I do that? Because we apply to drama school. And, and it got me thinking. And, and then I, I sent off my 20 pounds, as it was then, to RADA uh, and, and told my parents at the time, because we were talking about careers and what we're going to do, and where we're going to go. This, this was after I'd been deemed unsuitable for the Foreign Office. Yeah. And they said, well, you know, we'll give it a go. And if you don't get in, or rather when you don't get in, let's talk about what you, you, know, what you might fancy doing. And, and I got in, to my surprise. And, and as soon as I got in, I was completely hooked. But I'd never really entertained thoughts about acting up until then. I'd acted at school briefly. 
Whereas writing, I'd always written short stories, I'd written plays, um, I wrote music. So it sort of naturally went in, yes, it went into that. I was listening um, this morning, I was listening to, um, I think it was on the Daily or, or something anyway, one of the podcasts um, about Tom, it was Tom Hanks, or interviewing Tom Hanks. Yeah. Uh, actually, it was the Axel Report. And he said that when he found out, when he was at school or at university, he when he realised that acting actually is a subject and it's serious and he can go do that, he was... Uh, you know, so out of his mind excited because he just thought, <laughs> I can actually study something that I love that doesn't feel like I'm studying. Do you feel the same way about it? Yeah, I do. I mean, I do now. Then it's true because at school we never had any acting classes. I mean, you were, as oh. I went to an all boys boarding school where acting was very much the lowest of the low. And for any kind of artistic endeavor was considered, uh, you know, not the kind of thing one needed to do. We were very much a rugby school and we were. Um, in the wilds of, of Cumbria. But now, especially, I, mean, I, I teach at drama schools and direct as well. And I love the fact that this is now, um, it's not only a recognized subject, but it's so popular. And also it's now understood just how beneficial these communication skills, imagine, imaginary um, techniques and speaking uh, proficiencies that you can get from these sort of courses. It's, it's phenomenal, but I, I do feel justified. But then I think to begin with, I felt like a bit of a maverick and I quite enjoyed the fact that I did something that was considered risque, perhaps. So mm. I, I think that feeling hasn't left me. Yeah, um, and I think it's storytelling in a way, isn't it? Totally. Absolutely. And in fact, that's what I, when I'm talking to students, I ban the word acting from the room because it encourages people to do things that they would never normally do in real life, let alone on stage, where storytelling just makes everything much simpler to understand. We're telling a story. What's the story? How are we going to tell it? So in a way that people understand it. And then you leave acting out the room and it stops people getting self-conscious for one thing, which is, of course, the great enemy when you're acting. Mm. So you've got, um, I'm having a look at the films that you've worked on, Case Histories. I've got to say I love that book so much. I don't think I've yes. seen, seen it. But, you know, Foils, War, Hotel Babylon, I'm not going to go through all of them, The Bill. Um, how do you develop a career as an actor? I mean, is it just uh, like everything else? Is it experience? Or is it that you can get a break earlier on and the project that you're working on has incredible fame, if you like? I mean, how does it yes. work out? Do you know, it, it, it is roulette. In a way, yeah. it's absolutely roulette. There, there's very little you can do about it other than every time you get a job, whatever that is, you do it to your best degree. And ideally, and, and the temptation is to think about where it's going to lead me to. Uh, and as I've got older, I realise that it's so important to concentrate on where you are now because that will then lead you somewhere. As if you're worrying too much about the future, you won't necessarily do it in such a way that will bring you that thing you're thinking about. But it is so hit and miss. I mean, when I was <clears throat> a RADA, I, I, I always imagined I'd do nothing but television and I hated Shakespeare. And since leaving RADA, I've done so much Shakespeare, toured the world to 20, 30 different countries and other friends of mine who all they wanted to do was Shakespeare are now um, TV stars. So and I've done a bit of both, which is great. But I think if you get a break, especially when you're younger in television, that can lead to a strong television career. And I think the same goes with stage. And then you have to decide how much you want to risk one to try and do the other. And you start to fall naturally into one or the other. I think a lot of acting students now want to be famous. And of course, that's the big trap. And I always say to them that if they're training at drama school, the career, if you like, the thing that will advance, depending on your experience, is theatre. Whereas television doesn't work that way. You could, you could have been big in, in the 90s. And then 10 years later, because of your demographic, 
because of the taste of what's out there on screen, you can quickly become old news and, and it doesn't matter about your experience. You just won't be picked. Whereas if you've done 15 years of solid theatre, you will always keep going up along with the pay and with the progression and with the roles. So I always say to them, concentrate on theatre. Everything else is a bonus. Yeah, because everything else will happen from there, I guess. Yes, and, and it's also out of your hands, the way you look, the way you sound. And whereas with theatre on a role, the, the storytelling techniques are, are the same but different. You, you're much more in control of your story. Whereas on television, you have the edit, you have the shot size, the music, and, the, and, and everything else, which is out, out of your control as a storyteller. And it's Do you have a favourite format? Um, I think the most fun I had on film was being in Morocco for six weeks filming uh, a story uh, uh, based on a true story about the French Foreign Legion where I played a very nasty psychotic German commander in the French Foreign Legion but that was fun because we were outdoors in the wild in situ and, and, and I actually, it was just sort of boys with toys so I loved it yeah. but actually but in terms of in terms of as a career I think I feel most comfortable on stage and I particularly love touring and I and I particularly love Shakespeare because for me theatre is if, if, it, if, if it's involved or if it's text-based it's about a war of words and I think there's no one finer than Shakespeare and more complicated and harder more of a challenge and climbing the highest mountain but that feeling of working on stage with great text is wonderful I'd love to do more film and in fact you mentioned Foyle's War I really enjoyed that because I w- was a bomb disposal expert so I then suddenly <laughs> imagined you know, I did all the research and, and I got very caught up in it and of course you know, you're an actor. You're not. I then start harboring. Well, maybe I'll go and be a bomb disposal. No, no, you're an actor. Stop it. But, um, so <laughs> I can imagine you... that would happen a lot. Actually, I mean, if you take the role seriously, that does happen, yeah, doesn't it? It does. It does, and it can have good and bad consequences. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now tell me about your Australian accent. <laughs> um, yes. So I, uh, well, when I was playing Bill in uh, in Mamma Mia, uh, he was play- he's quite often played uh, as an Aus- as an Australian in the film. He wasn't. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård didn't play him as an Aussie. Um, so yes, yeah, so I had to learn it for that. And and in fact, my brother, when he went uh, to Australia when he was eighteen, came back after a year and was just totally Australian. And I thought you're putting this on. It's too good. You can't be putting it on. What? How, how does this happen? He was totally Australian so, after a year. Yeah, oh. yeah. Um, I mean, this is this is to the ears of an 18-year-old who you know who probably wasn't so stupid with accents as I am now. Um, yeah. So maybe maybe his accent was terrible, but I thought it was brilliant. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but but it, it's an accent that I think comes more easily um, to Brits than say the American accent. So yeah, yeah, for sure, I would say that. So are you going to do it for me? Well, you. Well, actually, when 
I'm trying to think about um because the audiobook, Ricky, of course, um, the main protagonist, Baddie, is an Aussie. That's right. Um, okay, well, I mean, all right, I have to go, but usually when I'm talking Australian accent, I have to have a script in front of me. Otherwise, okay. I start to sound a bit like Crocodile Dundee, but um, <laughs> but I can talk for a while. I, I mean, what do you reckon? Is this sounding sort of something right? Or? Yeah, talk to me about the character, yeah. the Aussie character in the book. In an Aussie accent? Yeah. Um, so that. Ricky, well, I don't want to give too much away because for those of you guys no. who haven't seen the book, um, Ricky is an enigma. He's like Mephistopheles. He's the great manipulator. And he sees this young guy, Haston, who's about, I don't know, maybe six, six, eight years younger than him. And he sees him as a guy that he can mold, control, kind of turn into his toy. And uh, again, I don't want to give it away because you've got to read the story to find out. Yeah. And why he was Australian, I don't know, but he's based as like all the characters are on people that I met from experience I had been up when I was 20 in 1988, when I went on my own to the islands of Paros and in fact hooked up with a load of Aussies out there. Yeah. Uh, how am I doing with the accent, by the way? You are, you're doing okay. Okay. I'm doing okay, yeah. As I say, if I've got a script, I find it a lot easier. There's probably a lot of people out there laughing, going, stop it, you palm, stop it. Yes, I've toured there to Perth twice um, doing Shakespeare. I went, when I played Henry V, we were out there as part of the big uh, Shakespeare Festival <clears throat> in 2012 and then in 2008. When I was younger, I always imagined Australia was a place. I would want to end up and live. And so my, my brother did it. I never went then, but I've managed, I've been there to work and I'd love to go back. I'd love to go to the East Coast, I'd love to go to Sydney. Um, I'd love to travel all around it. In fact, when we go to Fiji, I will do that. Yeah. We'll, well do you think we'll ever travel again? I think we will. I think this nightmare will be over. I, it may wait until they've got a vaccine, I guess, um, when they understand where it's from. But Yes, it, it is strange. And in the dark hours, you wake up in the night and go, is this it? Is this it from now on? Yeah. It isn't. No, the answer is no. We will be traveling again. I'll be coming to Australia soon. Good. Um, I, wanted, I want to talk to you about COVID for just a minute because they are yeah. strange times. And, and certainly um, it's really changed uh, the lifestyle of many of us. And I've been uh, running a series of podcasts talking to writers about the power of storytelling during this time uh, and what storytelling, well, how storytelling firstly can help us in isolation, uh, but also how does that change? You know, it, will we see different writing? Will, what are we going to be reading after this time? Do you think it's the same for acting in theatre? Do you think that, that it will change, that it won't be the same when we come out the other end? I think it will change. Um, <clears throat> at the moment in the acting industry, well, for instance, for example, I've just been given a, a role in Private Lives along with the actor Nigel Havers, who's playing the lead. It's, it's effectively a forehand. It's his own company. It's just started up and it's wow. supposed to be opening on October the 1st in Bath Theatre Royal and doing a tour. Now, Private Lives, Noel Coward, it's great fun. It's, it, it's, it's a comedy. It's very sharp, but considered light, perhaps, by, um, I mean, beautifully written and absolute genius play. But the sort of thing that ordinarily wouldn't necessarily be uh, in vogue because it's not gritty enough. It's not, you know, it's not modern enough up with the times, but actually after something like this, it's exactly what people are, are going to want to go and see. And they announced this, even though I don't know, because we just have to start rehearsing in August. Are people going to want to go to the theater? Are we going to be allowed to go to the theater as early as that? Who knows? But I think people are going to want true. And in fact, the kind of entertainment that I enjoy, which is escapist entertainment. Mm -hmm. And I think escapist reading, escapist theater. I think this is what we're going to be looking for because 
we don't want to be talking about COVID the whole time. We're going to want to forget about it when we come out. And in that sense, not comparing us to the wartime spirit, but there's something about, because of course then they could go to pubs and my, my granny her telling me they lived every day like it was the last, it was the best time of her life. It's not like that for us now. Yes, we're not at war, but at the same time, we can't go, or go anywhere or do anything. So mm. it's a slightly different kind of imprisonment. Mm. I think escape is storytelling. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, the book industry in a way um, is really benefiting um, by people being in isolation. I mean, you know, I mean, people want to read and they want to know what to yes. read. And I'm, yep. you know, and I, I love the fact that people are asking me every day, what should, you know, what do you recommend? But for theatre and, and film, and it's had a, a quite an adverse effect, hasn't it? Because Yes, everything has just stopped. I mean, film, mm. less so. It's, for film, it's easier. Film and TV, because I was supposed to be doing a thing in Belgium, which has been shelled, but all the filming and TV projects will just simply be shifted because the money will be in place because you don't start without the money in place. But for a lot of theatre companies and tours, they it's a rolling budget that's based on the potential ticket sales. So they, they plan everything, but it's knowing that they're going to recoup. Whereas with the film industry, they've got the money, they'll just start it later. So suddenly all these theatres could first of all go out of business. And then how do they reschedule when do they bring the shows forward, back, all the people who are in shows now? It, it's a real headache and, I, and mm. I don't know how they're dealing with it. And, mm. and I don't know how the government is granting them funding or not, but I think it's, I think it's critical for a lot of them. I so say for theatre, for TV, it's it's not so bad, I don't think. Now, um, let's talk about the book, The Lizard. I often look at actors and I just think, wow, they're such great all-rounders. You know, they can dance, they can sing, they can act, and they're just so talented on so many levels. And it appears that you're the same and you've added writing to that and the writing of fiction. <laughs> Tell me where that came from. Well, as, as I said earlier, I've always enjoyed, I used to tell stories to my brother when we shared a room and we were very little, I just make them up. And I've always enjoyed storytelling, always enjoyed um, writing diaries, songs, notes. And, and I wrote my first play when I was 18 at uni and I've written a play since. And I've, I've always, always had the instinct to write and I was in a band and wrote songs. And then I think I tried to sell a film script for about 10 years, over the last 10 years. And there's so many people involved. I thought, you know what, I, I want, I'm going to write a novel. It's just me and the book. And if it's good, people will take it. If it isn't, it isn't. But I, I, and, it was, and there's a story I've always wanted to write, which was based on this trip that I and did to Paros in 1988, when I went on my own for three months and went feral, actually. Yeah. I slightly lost my mind and had all sorts of experiences. And by the way, the book is completely fiction. <laughs> None of that, the thing that happens in it, did I do, um, I stress. But it is based on my experiences and people that I met and things that I felt when I was out there. And so this story's all, always been there. I thought, right, I'm going to write it now. It's been 30 years, it's time to start. Mm. It's, it's a wonderful book. It's a wonderful first book. Thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, I can also see it as a movie. I mean... Yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people have said that. In fact, there is there some of the early sort of review reviews are coming out on some of the pre pre sales. A lot of them are talking about how this could be a great film. And that, but I guess that makes sense coming from you, if it's because you could see, um, you know, when when you're writing, I guess you could see it play out as a play or a movie, couldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. I, I read one. You, you know how when you read reviews, you sort of, you know, the great reviews, you go, yeah, oh, that's lovely. And then you see someone who isn't so sure and you go, oh, why do you say that? And, and you think about those rather than the, rather than the great ones. Um, but one, one guy mentioned, you know, he, he, it was a good question. He thought, why is this set in the 80s? 
And of course, the reader doesn't know why I set it in the 80s, but actually it's because it's based on a time when I was there. But I think for me also pre-mobile phone, pre-technology, pre the time when you could press a button and get yourself out of a situation with one click. I, I thought if you're going to write an escapist suspense adventure thriller, it's got to be at a time when you didn't have that as backup, where literally stepping out the door was an adventure potentially. And also I could draw from it because... I remember everything exactly. I mean, I've been back many times and I love Greece and I lived in Cyprus for three years. My parents were posted there. So I've always loved all things Greek. Mm. Um, yes, I think but it's I, really I, I, important to write about, <clears throat> even in fiction, I think it's really important to write about what you know. As a reader, I find that I I buy it more, if you like, if yeah. if, if it's authentic in a way. that I suppose you can tell, can't you, as soon you as, can. you, as, soon as they yeah. say something. Yeah. Well, I mean, it really is one of these books that you can't put down. It's almost a roller coaster in a way. You need to know what's happening next. Uh, it's <laughs> called The Lizard and congratulations. Um, thank you. I think it's going to do very well. And thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thanks very much. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.